It's a bold idea, and I think if they can make it work, I really think there is a use case for it. I think one problem with crypto at the minute is that you've got a lot of tokens that they don't really do anything. If you look at them on a case-by-case basis, a lot of what they're trying to do can be done without the token itself that they're trying to sell to people. Cryptocurrencies have taken investing into risky, adventurous new territory over the past few years, and now a new blockchain-based real estate investing platform wants a piece of your portfolio. Joe talks to Sam Ball, the young investor and Twitter influencer promoting it, straight out of the gate today on Your Money, Your Wealth. Besides that, Joe and Big Al have some very sophisticated, advanced Roth conversion strategies, tips on how not to screw up your Roth conversion, and legal ways to get tax-free retirement income. Now, here are Joe Anderson. CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Hey, it's that time of the show, folks. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. We got a fantastic guest here. His name's Sam Ball. Very interesting individual. Uh, Sam's in the UK. He did a great TED Talk. And, you know, I'm just going to have Sam tell his story. Say, hey, first of all, Sam, really appreciate you joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you're doing all sorts of interesting things in the world of investing. Give us a little brief history. So I started investing when I was at university and I was studying accounting and finance at the time and I saved quite a lot of my student loan. I was scrolling on my Facebook one day and I just saw something about GoPro and it was uh, the stock at the time, I think it was about $11 and I did quite a lot of research into it but I ended up investing in GoPro initially. I think they were valued at about a billion and they had something like 400 million or 500 million just in cash. So I thought it seemed fa- fairly safe because I couldn't really lose more than half. That was my logic at the time. And it just sort of snowballed a bit from there. I found my degree because it was an accounting degree. It was very helpful for actually analyzing the companies. So it was a hobby that just continued and grew. And then I ended up doing my TED talk about a year later. And there was a guy who came up to me afterwards and he was like, oh, I didn't know you were into investing. What are you invested in? And I was telling him that I liked mainly just stocks and shares. And I was like, well, what are you invested in? And he was like, oh, I've got some crypto. I just sort of laughed at him. I think it was about March 2017. And my reaction at that point was just like, you're not a real investor. I just didn't take it seriously. But he sort of piqued my interest. And I think Bitcoin at the time was about 2000. So I was watching that. And then I went further and further down that rabbit hole, which then led to an ICO approaching me which is still pre-ICO Nest, which is a real estate blockchain project. It's mainly sort of financially based, my Twitter account. It's got about 300,000 followers on it. Since then, I've also finished my degree, and I'm now studying to become a chartered accountant. I think that's covered most things. There's a lot of meat on that bone. Let's start with your TED Talk. The title is Becoming a Better Investor with Friends. Tell us, how does being an investor with friends make me better? Well, the thinking behind that was... When I first started investing, I was talking to my friends about it, and it turned out I had quite a few friends that had were also into it. We talk about it more and more, and it did genuinely help, because I think sometimes with your own ideas as an investor, there are a lot of innate psychological biases that you can just fall prey to, even if you do a lot of research. And I think sometimes you don't realize how stupid an idea is until you try and explain it to someone else. And then it also helps to have someone else play devil's advocate with your ideas. You know, but you could run into problems there as well with groupthink, right? Um, so you probably need to have a good, diverse group of friends to keep you out of trouble. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think if, for example, you've got four friends that you talk about investing with and they're all morons, you're actually <laughs> you're going to be worse off because they're just going to egg you on to do stupid things. It does help a lot to have people that aren't like you 
Well, right now, what is your investment strategy? You know, what are your long-term goals here? I'm very much happy to just keep putting in and leaving it. I've got no intention to start drawing from it at all, certainly in the next decade or so, I don't think. It's something initially I started with stocks and shares, and it started with just one investment that went quite well and then ended up in a few more. And then I ended up getting into crypto as a result of my friend. And then I've also bought a couple of pieces of art in between. But at the minute, it's the crypto part of my portfolio that's growing um, rather than the stocks and shares. Well, let's talk about Nest. Let's break that down a little bit. So the very, very basic idea behind it is that if you want to be a landlord and enjoy rental investment income, you need you need to either enough to either get a mortgage or buy a property outright. And that's quite a difficult thing to do for a lot of people. So for me, when I was a student, there was just no way I'd be able to do that. But if I had a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars that I wanted to enjoy rental profits from, I could put it into a real estate investment trust. But then there's no actual control. So what Nest is doing is it's going to take the ICO proceeds. It's going to go out and it's going to buy a load of properties. And in return for investing in the ICO, you're going to get Nest tokens. And what you can use these tokens for is to stake them on particular properties within their app, an ecosystem that you like the look of. It works by smart contracts, which is essentially programmable money. So what happens is the money, the rent comes in and automatically, if you own, say, half of 1% of that property, you get your half of 1% paid directly to you. So even if you don't actually have the money to invest in a full property, you can still enjoy rental income as part of your investment portfolio. So you're basically a... Uh, passive investors. So the the ICO, the initial um, coin offering of, of Nest, is going to gather some cash, and then they're going to go out and, and, and purchase a bunch of properties. What is that offering? How, how big of a portfolio do they want to um, build here? It's it's hard to say because they'll raise the money with Ethereum, and it, it depends on the price of Ethereum at the time. But I, I think they're hoping to raise at least forty million dollars, and probably looking to go up to 100 million. Is it all based in the UK or is it going to be global or what areas are they looking at? It's actually a US thing. The website's mynest.io. There's the white paper on there, which basically just says exactly what they're trying to do and how they're hoping to do it. It's a bold idea and I think if they can make it work, I really think there is a use case for it. I think one problem with crypto at the minute is that you've got a lot of tokens that they don't really do anything. And they'll talk about what they're trying to do. And then if you look at them on a case-by-case basis, a lot of what they're trying to do can be done without the token itself that they're trying to sell to people. Whereas with Nest, I think there's a genuine use case, and it's a really exciting project. Last question. What is some of advice that you can give our listeners in regards to crypto? If someone's just starting out that doesn't necessarily understand it, where would you guide them or what type of advice would you give someone if they're they're interested in learning a little bit more about uh, the crypto landscape in general? My first advice for someone who is literally just starting would be don't invest straight away. Because if you go in and you buy it and you don't know understand why you like it or why you're buying it, because it's such an immature market, it's so, so volatile. And there's just daily movements that are on a scale that if you've just been in stocks before you're not really used to. And I think there is that if you buy it and it goes down 20% the next day, you might just panic and sell it. You don't really understand it. So you just think, oh, I don't want to lose my money. So if you're wanting to learn more about it, I think 
firstly, if you've got Netflix, there's a really good documentary that explains Bitcoin and what that's about and the story of how it started. And it's called Banking on Bitcoin. And then if you're interested in reading books, I think the best two that I've read are Digital Gold. That What that is, is it's an explanation of Bitcoin from when it was first created. And it takes it up to about 2013, 2014, I think. And then there's also the age of cryptocurrencies, which is a bit more general, and it's not just focusing on Bitcoin. And then the Bad Crypto podcast, if you go to that and you start like episode one, the two guys who do that, when they started it, they didn't really know anything about it. So they take you through it as they're learning about it. So they are actually explaining it in beginner's terms. And as they go on and on, it gets a bit more complicated as you learn more about it. So I think those are some good places to go to. We're talking to Sam Ball. That was awesome, my friend. Um where can people find more about you? Where can they follow you at? So I'm most active on Twitter, and my username is at the Sam Ball. And if you want to email me, you can reach me at samrball at googlemail.com. Yeah, you got to check out his TED Talk, too. It's called Becoming a Better Investor with Friends. Uh, thanks a lot, Sam Ball. It was really great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in this broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. For more from us on cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology, and real estate investing, we've got links in the show notes for this episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Things like how to start investing in real estate and what is a REIT, plus a crypto Cryptocurrency for Beginners Q&A, our interview with crypto expert Amanda B. Johnson, and the answer to the question, is cryptocurrency real money? It's all in the show notes for this episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. If you need more help, just email info at purefinancial.com. Hey, Alan, Roth IRAs, there's some questions in regards to Roth IRAs. And well, it just so happens, I think you pulled up an article that we could talk all about questions on Roth IRAs. It's funny you would ask me about that. It's almost like we prepared. Yes. Which we never do. But uh, I, I guess I first want to say a Roth IRA is it, it's a retirement account that grows tax-free, which is different than a regular IRA that grows tax-deferred. So typically with an IRA or a 401k, you get a tax deduction, so you pay less tax up front, but then all that money inside that IRA 401k grows tax-deferred, and you will pay tax on that when you withdraw it in retirement. Roth IRA is kind of like the opposite. You don't get a tax deduction currently, but uh, you pull the money out in retirement, and it's all tax-free, right? Mm -hmm. I like that. A couple ways to get money into a Roth. You can do a contribution if you're working. If you have earned income, $5,500 or $6,500 if you're 50 and older. There's income limitations to be aware of. You can also do Roth conversions. You can take money out of your 401k, your IRA. You can convert it to a Roth. There are no income limitations there, but realize you have to pay tax on what you convert. And, of course, that brings up a lot of questions. You know, um, we had this event here at the office. It was um, you were the keynote speaker for the Women's Initiative for yeah, the Financial, Financial Planning, Planning Association. Correct. Uh -huh. And um, I heard you talking about some Roth IRAs as I was walking down the hall. Yeah, I, I, was, I was getting into it. <laughs> you were. You were very passionate. I, I was <laughs> because it's important. And especially right now, Joe, because our tax rates are lower. And, and in fact, a married couple 
uh, taxable income of up to $315,000 is still only the 24% bracket. Now, I know 24% is 24%, but it's a lot lower than it was last year. And if you're single, you can have taxable income up to 157000 So what does this mean? If you're single and your taxable income is 100000 you could do a $57,000 Roth IRA and still stay in the 24% bracket. Roth, Roth conversion. Roth conversion. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, yeah, I think with the planning that we've done over the years, the 25% tax bracket was still a fairly cheap rate. Yeah, and we were converting last year and years prior routinely in the 25% bracket. Now it's 22 and 24% bracket, right. so it's even better. It's a, Yeah, it's a really good opportunity for people to at least to take a look at. So it, um, what it questions you got? Well, this is from uh, MarketWatch. It's titled, How Not to Screw Up Your Roth IRA. And, All right. and the first question is, uh, this is from Frank. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Frank. Just so you know. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, he asks, uh, or starts with a comment, it has been my understanding that if converting from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, it was an all-or-nothing event. In 2017, I had no earned income, and the same will happen in 2018. I never see any articles on partial conversions, such as a $100,000 converted out of a million-dollar account, uh, and he wants to know, can someone do this, or, or in, can, can you do any amount? Do you have to do the full amount? How does this work? Sure. I, I don't know where he's getting his information, because there's a lot of information out there about par- partial con- I, conversions. I, I, I but, think so, too. But I think before, um, I guess if you've never heard of a Roth IRA conversion before, there could be a lot of confusion. Uh, you and I live in this world, you know, day and day. We talk so. about it daily. So. <laughs> I know it's awful. <laughs> it's um, pretty bad. <laughs> But no, there's no dollar limit, and we've seen this mistake a, a few times in the past, where you know you, you ask someone, "Hey, well, you have a few hundred thousand dollars in a Roth. That's that's a lot of money in a Roth IRA. You know, what? How, how did you how get did it? That how, how, yeah, he goes, well, you know, I did a Roth IRA conversion. I was like, well, how much did you convert? Well, the, the uh, whole thing, all of it. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> I, well, why did you do all of it? Well, I didn't think there was another choice. <laughs> um, but no, what the, the, the best way to look at this, without getting too technical is I guess at the back of the envelope, you want to look at your tax bracket, and then you see, all right, well, how much tax am I willing to pay on this retirement account to get it into a tax-free environment? Right. And if you have room in a certain tax bracket, 5000 20000 50000 even 2000 there is no dollar limit. So you could convert a dollar, or you could convert the whole thing, or anywhere in between. So the, the correct strategy is a little bit more complex, but I think a good back-of-the-envelope strategy is just to look at maximizing your tax bracket. So if like we were just talking about the 22 or 24% marginal tax bracket on the federal side, if you got $10,000 of room to stay in your same tax bracket, well, go ahead and convert $10,000, even though maybe the account is worth a million. You don't have to convert the whole thing. And each and every year, you can convert whatever you want to. So let's say you've got 10 more years before retirement, and even in retirement, you can still keep converting. So what you want to do is you want to come up with a strategy for each and every year, depending upon what amount makes sense for you in that year. And in this in this question, Frank was saying he had no, earn, no earned income in 17 and then also in 2018, which, of course, would be a great time to convert because he's in very low brackets, assuming there's not a lot of other income. Right. And... <clears throat> I think another reason to look at conversions, and again, what a Roth IRA conversion is, is taking money from a traditional retirement account, because when you pull those dollars out, you're going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. And a lot of you, the bulk of your retirement savings are in 401k-like accounts. 
And so if you were diligently in your savings throughout the last 20, 30 years to work your way up until retirement, as you pull dollars out to create your income, and if you're trying to replicate your paycheck, well, it's going to be taxed almost identically as your paycheck today without any of the deductions that you're getting plus FICA tax. But it's the same marginal rate and the same state rate, depending on what state that you live in. Correct. So if I'm pulling out $100,000 to create that income out of my retirement account, well, it's not like, hey, since I'm in retirement, I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket. Well, no, it depends on how much dollars that you're pulling out of these retirement accounts is going to be dependent on what tax bracket that you're in. Yeah, and we sometimes see people with pension plans and, of course, Social Social Security, Security, and then they got a bunch of money in their IRA or their 401k, and then all of a sudden you do the math and you realize, wow, at age 70 and a half, you're going to be in a higher bracket than while you're working. And that's that's it happens frequently. It could be because, let's say, if you continue to defer your retirement accounts and you spend other dollars, or maybe you don't even need the money in your retirement accounts because you have a pension, Social Security, maybe some real estate income. Well, those dollars continue to compound tax-deferred, and as Al just alluded to, at age 70 and a half, you are required by law to take money out of those accounts and your tax at ordinary income rates. So that could bump you up into a higher bracket. So Roth conversions help eliminate some of that tax bite later in life by slowly chipping away at the retirement account, getting it into a tax-free environment that that will grow tax-free and there is no required distributions in a Roth. So it's giving you a little bit more flexibility when you start creating income in retirement. Here's our next question. Do I have to wait one full year to convert again, does the one-year rule apply to a Roth conversion? Oh, there is no. Okay. I this, don't want to make fun of people. <laughs> and this one, this one, there's no name on okay, it. Okay, yes. I'm, I'm going to assume it's still Frank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, uh, all right. So here's another common question. All right. Well, can I do multiple conversions in the same year? Sure. It, it, right? I don't know why you would want to. Um I guess today you might want to do two conversions, one in the beginning of the year, one at the end of the year. So it's kind of a barbell strategy because the rules changed. Be prior to 2018, you're able to recharacterize a Roth IRA conversion. So if I'm putting money into a Roth IRA, I had until the following year to say, do I want to keep it in the Roth or not? If I didn't want to keep it in the Roth, I could recharacterize it and put it back into my retirement account. No harm, no fall, no taxes due. Like it never happened. But the new tax reform and the new tax law um, eliminated the recharacterization. So once you do a conversion, it's stuck. You're stuck with that tax bite at the next year, uh, which is not a bad thing because why convert if you weren't going to keep it anyway? Right. Right? But it's a good point. So in the beginning of the year, you may not know your income precisely, so you do a little smaller amount. You'd like to get the conversion in sooner to get tax-free growth sooner, but you might not do the whole thing. You might wait till year end to have more certainty on, on your income and then convert the rest then. But ideally, the best time to convert is in the beginning of the year, right? Because then you have all that compounding growth if the market's up, of course, all tax-free. Right. Right. So now there's different strategies. And there's no one-year clock. I don't know where you came up with that or where you heard well, of a one-year clock. here's what I'm guessing. Because there's a 60-day rollover on IRAs. From, from you know, When you pull the cash out, you can put it back in. And then after that, you can only do one of those per year. I think that's where it's coming from. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, that's way to... Put the little pieces together there, Big Al. <laughs> I wasn't even coming close to thinking well, about it was, that. It was in the answer that this person wrote. Oh, <laughs> I wish I'd say I was that smart. But. So, but here's another way that people are looking at Roth IRA conversions is that now their dollar cost averaging their converted um, conversions over, let's say, a 12-month period. Let's say if I want to convert $12,000, right? Because I'm looking at my tax bracket. I get my taxes done. 
and say, I have $12,000 of room in my tax bracket for 2018. So that's what I think I want to convert. But I don't know for sure because I could get a bonus. I could lose my job. I could get a new job with higher pay. I don't know what the next 12 months is going to look like. So maybe the barbell strategy is this, is that I'm going to convert maybe four or $5,000 in January, maybe half of it. And then I'm going to wait until December, and then I'm going to shore everything up and say, you know what, that $12,000 still looks like a pretty good number, so I'm going to convert the rest to get it to that $12,000 to keep me in that tax bracket. Another strategy that you could potentially utilize is to dollar cost average your conversion into the Roth. So once a month, I'm putting in $1,000. And the reason why you want to do that is that there is no recharacterizations anymore. So the market works up and down. One month, it could be up 5%. The next month, it could be down 4%. So as I'm dollar cost averaging my dollars into the Roth, I'm going to average the best cost, if you will, into the Roth IRA. So there's multiple strategies that you could utilize. I think it really depends on what your overall goals are, what your strategy really needs to be long term. And how creative and how much paper paperwork you know you want to fill out. True, right? <laughs> Stick around for part two of not screwing up your Roth conversion in just a minute. If you'd like some Roth basics for this all to make a little more sense, visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our Roth IRA basics white paper for free. Learn why Kiplinger calls the Roth IRA one of the smartest money moves a young person can make. Find out what the Roth IRA is how it's different than a traditional IRA, whether or not you're eligible to contribute, how much you can contribute, and learn how your money could be growing and compounding tax-free forever. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our Roth IRA Basics white paper, your free gift from Your Money, Your Wealth. All right, we're talking about Roth IRA, some questions from Market Watch. Yeah, and Frank had some very interesting questions. Yeah, here's this next one. You ready? Yeah, everyone yeah. just, we'll just call him Frank. Yeah, because... It just said Frank on the first one, no other name. So I assume they're all from Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't know if Frank's a real person or not. But uh, next question, is it wise to open a separate Roth IRA account for each conversion? One for a Roth account for, or or is one Roth account for conversions okay? Um, Again, this year moving forward, uh, the same account doesn't matter because you cannot recharacterize. Right. If, If it was last year, then yes. You here's another. No, let me take that back, okay. because it depends on his age. If he's under fifty nine and a half, then yes, you might want to consider opening up a couple of different Roth IRA conversions. The reason for that is that you have two different five year clocks when it comes to Roths. So what a five year clock means, according to the IRS, is that the money needs to season inside a Roth IRA to get the tax free treatment on the distribution. Yeah, on the principal. Right, a principal and earnings. Right. Okay, so five-year clock on a on a um, contribution, right? So if I'm putting money as a Roth IRA contribution, right, the five-year clock is this: I have five years of the first dollar that went in the first Roth to have the earnings come out to me tax-free or fifty-nine and a half, whichever is longer. Correct. I always have access to the principal on a Roth IRA contribution. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know that. You're 30 years old, you do a Roth contribution, $5,500. Next month you need it for an emergency. You can pull that out, no tax, no penalty. Absolutely. The 5500 Now, if the 5500 has grown to 6000 you cannot pull out the $400 without tax and penalty. you got to wait till fifty-nine and a half. Five hundred $500. Yeah. Yeah, five hundred. What I say? Four hundred. Four hundred. Okay. <laughs> Pretty good math. <laughs> I'm I'm not as sharp as normal today. 
anyway, but now, but, you're right. but on, a, on a conversion, it's different, right? Absolutely. The conversion works like this. You're 30 years old. You do a Roth IRA conversion this year of five, 10000 bucks. I cannot touch any of that money for five years. So now I turned 35. So the five-year clock works on that conversion. Now I can take the principal out of that conversion dollar after five years. The conversion dollars only. Yes, not the growth. Not the growth. Not I have to income. wait until 59 and a half. Right. And each conversion has its own five-year clock. So the reason why they did it that way is that they wanted to avoid people uh, the, the, to avoid the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Yeah, because you could convert and next day pull it out. Pull it oh, out. No penalty. Right. And so this is like the rule of you know, impulsive buying. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You see something that you really want to buy, and then you have to like count to 10 before you buy it or wait a day. <laughs> what, what the hell is that rule? Uh, right? And then all of a sudden, like after a day or a week, ah, it's not that important. Kind right. of, you don't uh, impulse buy, I guess. Uh, no. You just we, buy. I just buy it. It's, <laughs> it's right there in front of me. But no, that's actually, I, uh, that's a good point. I mean, and actually maybe wait 30 days. Right. 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 Depending or upon what it, if what the big, it is. The bigger the purchase. A big purchase. Yeah. Right. If it's like a, a head of lettuce. You, you <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead and buy that. You don't have to wait on that one. So ahead of lettuce. So right? after five, I mean, yes, you don't I agree. To, you don't I don't know if I've ever purchased a head of lettuce. But <laughs> is that impulse buy? <laughs> that could be. That could be. For you. Yes, for me. <laughs> oh, boy. I, you know, the lettuce that I buy, it's like already a prepaid salad. Yeah. You know what? I, sure. I'm not going to like crunch and get the core out. You don't want to do all that work? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not washing the head of lettuce. <laughs> I'm just going to go to the bag of already lettuce with the corn or the carrots in there and everything. No, another question. Yes. Can, can you convert to a Roth IRA in the, in the same year you make a contribution yes. or take a distribution yes. from a Roth IRA? Absolutely. Yeah, no Here, problem. No big deal. And Here's another thing, too, to piggyback on top of that is let's say if you have a 401k plan through your employer and I contribute to the 401k plan, that doesn't mean I, I cannot contribute to a Roth IRA plan as well. You can still do both if you qualify for a Roth IRA contribution income limit-wise. Right. And I can do a conversion the same year. So if I want to do a 401k contribution of my 18.5, and if I want to do a Roth IRA contribution of 5,500, I can do both of those. And wait a minute, maybe I want to do a conversion of another $30,000. I can do all three in one year. Here's where a lot of CPAs screw up. No offense to you, Big Al. Wow. Is this. You better be is, good. Is that the Roth IRA contribution limitations is based on modified adjusted gross income, not true adjusted gross, Maji, and a Roth IRA conversion is not included in that calculation. Because if you're single, if you have more than, a, what, $133,000 of income, you are no longer eligible to make a Roth IRA contribution? Correct. Was it 133 or 132? I think it's 135. Oh, Gotta find out. All right. Hold on, we got the chart here. Let's see. I guessing. I, what did I guess? You guessed one thirty three. I said one thirty five. It's one thirty five. Damn it. See, one hundred thirty five thousand. Who, who's the CPA here? You are. <laughs> so if I did a Roth conversion, right? <clears throat> Let's say my adjusted gross income was ninety nine thousand dollars, but then I did a conversion of a hundred and or uh, thirty six thousand. Okay. So then that put me. You're over. I'm over. Yeah. But guess what? They take that that conversion dollar out. It would not hurt me um, in 
for me to qualify for a Roth IRA contribution. So as a CPA, I'm going to give you that one. I think I think a lot of CPAs do miss that. And that you're right. That's not part of the AGI modified adjusted gross income for that calculation. You know what, Alan? What else you got? Can you, what about an inherited IRA? Can you do a conversion there? No. You can convert an inherited 401k. Now, why is there that know. rule? That's so stupid. <laughs> so you, it, wait a minute. You, so you inherit an IRA from your uncle. Yep. Can't convert it. You inherit a 401k from your uncle. You can convert it. Yes. That, that's what you're telling me. That is what I'm telling you. If it's under Section 401k in the IRS code, you can convert the 401k into a Roth IRA, into an inherited Roth IRA, you know, yeah. but not, um, not, not IRAs. So it would have to go to an inherited Roth IRA, I guess, the conversion, because you have to take required, required minimum, minimum distributions, distributions. Yes, which a lot of people don't know. You might be 30 when you inherit this account. You still have to take a required minimum distribution Yes, because it's an inherited IRA. The rules are different. So if you had an inherited 401k, you can convert that into an inherited Roth IRA. You would still have to take a required minimum distribution from the inherited Roth IRA, but the distribution would be tax-free. So even out of the Roth. But even it's out of the Roth. But it's tax-free. Even out of the Roth. So a lot of Roth talk here. You want tax-free income. Here's what you do. You figure out the rules and regulations of everything that you need to do to figure <laughs> to, to get you the, the, the That's what you do. That's, <laughs> oh, that is so stupid. Oh, boy. Or I'm, more, can, I'm more confused ever, Joe. What, what do I do? do tell me you tell can, me again. I just, learned the rules and regulations. Go, yes, you can go to Publication 590, <laughs> spend about, I don't know, seven years and figure it out. Or you can call us and we can give you a free personalized retirement assessment to see if a Roth IRA conversion is right for you and your overall financial strategy. Call 888-994-6257 or visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click free assessment. That's 888-994-6257 or visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com for your free two-meeting retirement assessment from one of our certified financial planners. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, five legal ways to get tax-free income in retirement. I'm glad they say legal because I don't, I don't want five illegal. illegal ways. There's lots of illegal ways to get tax-free income by just not reporting your income. Sure. Right? Okay. Steal so, it. Yeah, right. Any number of ways. But here's the first one. Okay. We already talked about it. Roth IRA. Yes, love Roth IRAs. Yeah, because when you take money out of a Roth IRA, there's no tax to pay. Zero tax. Now, there's some couple rules, several rules, like you have to wait five years before you can All take you gotta the All you got to do is out. just rewind, rewind. the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and well, then you get all the rules right but, there. But if they're listing live, I'm just doing a little recap. So, but the, and, and of course, the thing about a Roth IRA, you never get a tax deduction going in or you pay taxes to do a conversion, but then all future principal income growth is tax free. Tax free for you, tax free for your spouse if he or she survives you, tax free for your kids, tax free for your grandkids. So here's an argument is that we hear this often, is that if you're in a certain tax bracket today and going to be in a certain tax bracket at distribution, it makes no difference if you have a traditional retirement account or a Roth retirement account. Yeah, because in other words, you're going to pay the same tax now or in the future. So what's it matter? Yeah, I think that is a not very educated <laughs> statement. I think so too. And there's several reasons. I'll, I'll it's just, I mean, they're looking at it in a bubble. 
Yeah, assuming there's... You and I do this every day in real life. Yeah, and there's, there's lots of other factors, such as, what if all of a sudden you need extra capital for whatever? And if you, pu- if you only have the IRA, you pull a bunch of extra out of the IRA, now you're in a higher tax bracket. Correct. Right? So you've prepaid this while you're in a lower bracket. Right now, by the way, we've got the lowest brackets in... in Almost actually, in history. Well, in my career, I'll put it that way. 57 years. <laughs> now I'm 100 years old. But... Uh, but here, How many years? What, 30, 33, I start, 34? I started in public accounting in 1984. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, 30, 33 years. Yeah, yeah. So that's the lowest it's been in 33 years. Yeah, that's correct. Today. That's, that's right, today, right, right now. Right now. And another thing, too, Joe, of course, is when you think about a, a globally diversified portfolio, some asset classes naturally are going to have higher growth rates than others. Sure. And if you kind of push those higher growth rate asset classes to the Roth, over the long term, you're going to keep a lot more of what you make. Such as this, is that maybe you want some money in stocks and some money in bonds. Well, if I have more of my money in stocks in my Roth and more bonds in my retirement account, well, if you look over the long term, stocks have a higher expected rate of return than bonds. So if I strategically place the right asset class in the right tax pool, um, I can maximize the overall growth. Also, when you're married... And when you pass, when the first spouse passes away, the survivor is single, and now you're in much higher tax brackets because you hit this the same tax brackets at lower income levels. Right, and I think another big one is just to give yourself a lot more flexibility. Right, I think that's the biggest. Is that if I have some monies in a retirement account, a non-retirement account, in a Roth account, and if I need a certain distribution. Annually of fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, thirty thousand, whatever. I can pick and choose where I'm pulling those dollars from, and I can be a, a little bit more educated on how my tax is going to look each and every year so because yeah. I have opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not going to pull from my retirement account this year because I sold a property and I got a huge tax gain there. And the more dollars that I throw out of my retirement account could push my capital gains into a higher bracket. I could get subject to the net investment income taxes or whatever. I'm going to pull from my Roth. I'm going to have more flexibility. Or I'm only going to pull enough from my retirement account to, to max out a certain tax bracket, but I want more income. Well, now I'm going to pull from my Roth IRA so I still have more cash flow, but I don't have to pay tax on those dollars. So it just gives you a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Second tax-free income is related, Roth 401k or Roth uh, 403b. Yeah, I think same, same, same. Yeah, exactly. All good. And I think not everyone realizes that many of these plans, 401k plans, have a, have, have a Roth option. Absolutely. Check with your HR. Right. right. E- exactly. Meaning you can still put money into your 401k or your 403b, just have it go into a Roth. You don't get a tax deduction, but it grows tax-free. Yeah, you can pick and choose. If your 18500 is, um, uh, is the max if you're under 50, then you can say, hey, I want 10000 to go into the pre-tax and the rest to go into my Roth. So it's not all or none on that as well. Next one is municipal bonds. Sure. Municipal bond interest is tax-free. Yeah, unless they're from Detroit. Well, then still tax-free because <laughs> you didn't make anything. Default. Yeah, they can default. But, like, for example, for those listeners in California, uh-huh. if you buy a California municipal bond, it's tax-free federally and tax-free in California. Yeah. If you happen to live in Idaho, you might want to buy Idaho bonds sure. because it would be tax-free in Idaho as yeah. well. And be careful. We've seen, reti- um, like, tax-free bonds in retirement accounts. And thinking, then the, the rationale behind it wasn't like, this is a really good bond. 
the rationale was like, this is a tax-free bond. I bought it inside my like in my IRA, uh, thinking that I was going to get tax-free income from the thing. No, it's still going to be taxed at ordinary income. It makes almost zero sense to hold a tax-free bond inside a retirement yeah, account. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The fourth one is a health savings account. HSA. Right. You, we know that if you have a high-deductible health insurance plan that qualifies for this, you can set up an HSA account, $3,450 per person, or an extra $1,000 uh, per person or actually, uh, per person, or for a couple. So the numbers are double, $6,900 for a, a couple, extra $1,000 catch-up in either case. The money that goes in there, Joe, uh, you... Um, can then use for medical expenses down there. First of all, you get a tax deduction. Secondly, that growth is can be used for medical expenses, and there's no taxes to be paid on that. It's triple threat. <laughs> triple threat. <laughs> the last one, and I can tell this was written by somebody that sells insurance. Oh, you can I, imagine. What, what life insurance you got there? Cash value life insurance. Yep. Let's. I would say the death benefit of a life insurance contract is a very good tax-free benefit. Unfortunately, you got to die to get the benefit. <laughs> We're not big proponents of putting money into a life insurance contract to let the money grow tax deferred and pull it out tax free. I would much rather do a Roth IRA conversion because you, it's the same fact, but you're not buying life insurance within it in the fees and expenses and all that other garbage that goes along with it. So I would be very careful if someone's proposing an index universal life insurance contract. However, I have seen it work um, never. <laughs> Speaking of life insurance, did you catch last week's episode where Joe was ranting about an insurance thread on Reddit? If you missed it and want to give it a listen or read the transcript, hit up yourmoneyyourwealth.com and you can see if life insurance, annuities, or long-term care are right for you. From there, you can check out our previous interviews on investing with Dr. Wade Fowl, Paul Merriman, Larry Swedrow, and tons of others. You might as well subscribe to the podcast while you're there so you don't miss any of the good stuff we've got coming up, like next week's show with the retirement answer man, Roger Whitney, author of Rock Retirement. Now it's time to open up the email bag. If you've got a money question, send it to us at info at purefinancial.com or give us a call at 888-994-6257 and schedule a time to have Joe and Big Al answer your question live during Your Money, Your Wealth. Again, that's info at purefinancial.com or 888-994-6257. Check this out. So this gentleman, um, he's like, all right, I enjoy watching your show every Sunday morning. So he's referring to our television show. Okay. Joe and Big Al are sharp. Wow. Oh, look at that. No wonder you wanted to read that one. And as an advanced investor, I'm always learning new tips and techniques from your show. Keep up the good work. But I failed to see the tax advantage of moving my traditional IRA money into a Roth IRA. Yes. There are a few non-tax advantages of moving traditional IRA money into a Roth. No RMDs and your heirs don't have to worry about a large tax bill because you've taken care of it for them. All right. But as far as a Roth tax advantage, help me out. Okay. So he's got a couple examples here. Okay. All right. So here's one example that he wrote. He goes, let's say I have $100,000 in a traditional IRA. In converting it to a Roth IRA would incur a 30% tax bill, combined federal and state taxes. Right. And let's say that my tax rate for the last dollar I earned is also 30%. So he's got a scenario here. Okay. Scenario one, my $100 traditional IRA is invested in bonds that gives me a 5% yield. Wow, this guy is deep. 
Yeah. So that's $5,000 a year. After paying a 30% federal and state tax bill on the interest on those bonds, I keep $3,500 a year. Or I convert my traditional IRA bonds into a Roth IRA. In the $100,000 I convert, I pay the IRS $30,000, and the remaining $70,000 goes into my Roth account. Sure. These... $70,000 $70,000 worth of bonds generate the same 5% rate of return, giving me $3,500 a year, Great. the same amount as the traditional IRA. Sure. So what's the difference? What's the difference? Why do it? Why? Lots of reasons. First, first of all, you're assuming you're going to be in the same tax bracket for your whole life, which maybe that's true. And you know what? If, if in a perfect world and you spend down a perfect amount of money, there's never any, any emergencies, your spouse never passes away so that you're in different tax brackets when you're single... And tax rates never go up. Yeah, that's mathematically, that's a true statement. But here's what we see happening is some folks, like in particular, if they lose their job or let's say they retire before they uh, collect Social Security, before they get their required minimum distributions, they're in an artificially low tax rate. So why not do Roth conversions while you're in a low tax rate? Paid the 0% rate or 10% rate or 12% rate, maybe even 22% rate. It's all relative to your own circumstances. You have to pay the tax anyway. But by the time you receive your Social Security, maybe your pensions, your required minimum distributions, if you're already in the 22 or 24% bracket, wouldn't have been smarter those years when you were lower brackets, prepay that tax at a lower rate. Then the mathematics starts to work out better. So let's assume you're absolutely right. But I think his argument is saying, all right, well, 30-30. But how about if there's a way that you can pay tax in the 30% tax bracket, but then you have diversification when you start taking distributions to put you in a lower tax bracket in the future, right? Because now I'm converting dollars from now until how many years, right? So if I just keep the money in the retirement account, Every dollar that comes out of there is going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. So let's say, assuming that I want to maintain my same lifestyle, I'll pull the money out of the IRA. It's going to be taxed at 10%. It'll be taxed at 12%, taxed at 22%, right? Assuming that's my income threshold. Right. Make sense? Yep. So if now, let's say if I look and say, maybe I convert to the top of the 22% tax bracket. Right. And now I'm slowly converting, not everything, but I'm just chipping away at my retirement account to get a good sum of money into a Roth IRA. And then now when it comes time for me to retire, right, I'm only going to take money from my retirement account to fill up that 10% bracket, to fill up the 12% bracket. But then all additional dollars that I would like to spend, I'm going to pull it from my Roth IRA account. So I would never even touch the 22% in retirement if I did this correctly. Yeah. So you have to look at the diversification of it. You also have to take a look at what? How about Social Security? How's your Social Security going to be taxed? Yeah, because if it's all required minimum distribution, it adds to your ordinary income, which makes more of your Social Security taxable. Some other things, Joe, is, is... Sometimes in retirement, you have a need for additional capital, right. whether it's a big vacation or grandkids in college or health expense or whatever it may be. You pull that money out of the retirement account, it puts you in a much higher bracket. So now you're actually defeating the purpose. And then there's one more thing that is often overlooked, and that is a well-diversified portfolio 
is going to have more aggressive positions and more safe positions. And what if you could kind of push your more aggressive positions in the Roth IRA? Yes, they're more volatile. They'll go, they'll go up and down more like a roller coaster. But over the long term, if you stay in them, you'll get a better rate of return. If you put those assets in the Roth IRA, you end up with more dollars after tax. There's lots of reasons why this works out in your favor. And then I guess to be morbid, how about if, if you're married? How about if one spouse dies? Yeah, because when you're single, it's actually the same tax brackets, but you hit the next bracket much sooner. For example, if you're married right now and your taxable income is about $77,000, as soon as you get to that point, you jump from the 12% to the 22%. But if you're single, it's about $37,000. So it's about it's half, half. Is, is the number. Right. If you just look at it as $80,000 is the top of the 12% tax bracket, well, $40,000 is the top of the 12% tax bracket if you're single. Right. And so maybe you want to be doing this while you're married. So, that, I mean, there's so, so very many reasons. It, it gives you a lot more control over your taxes in retirement. And that's, that's what we've seen over time. The people that retire most successfully, well, first of all, they've saved. Let's, let's get that out of the way. But assuming they, got, they have money and they've saved, if, if, if they have that tax diversification, they can manage their tax liability instead of it managing them. Right. It's the after-tax rate of return is what you have to focus on. And I think when you look at investing... You know, we're looking at, all right, fees or what's the hot stock or Bitcoin to everything else in between. But if you just keep your investment philosophy somewhat simple, but then you have a little bit of a creative mind on the tax side of things and spend some time because tax is law, right? Yeah. It's it's like, this is the law. If I understand what it is, I can now benefit myself using the law. The, the market is not law. It's not like, all right, you're going to get a you know an 8% rate of return for the next 30 years. Who knows what the market's going to do? So you've got to put the probabilities on your side. And, and the best way to do that, of course, is looking at taxes. And then, yeah, fees um, is, is another huge component of it. But then your discipline with, within those three components. All right, that's it for us. For Big Al Clopi, and I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Thanks a lot for listening. Did you hear how Al's voice changed there when he started thinking about those highly advanced Roth conversion strategies? I think it's safe to say he digs this stuff. That would be an understatement. So there you have it. Everything you ever wanted to know about Roth IRA conversions, plus a look at the bold new frontier of crypto real estate investing from a self-taught investor and Twitter influencer. Stay on top of your investing strategy by subscribing to this podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or find us on Player FM's. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Apple Podcasts, which used to be called iTunes, which is where you can still find our ratings and reviews. If you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call and leave it in a voicemail at 888-994-6257, and we might get you on the air live with Joe and Big Al. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit at purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Have a great week, y'all.